0: Hello there, it's me, Professor Oak. I'm here to tell you about a new podcast series from Super NPC Radio, all about the original Pokémon games. Pikachu. That's right, Pikachu. Your favorite trainers are playing through Pokémon Red, Blue, and Yellow for their next Games Club series, and you can hear all about their journey. Look, my grandson is here. What's his name again? Well, wow, my name is Gary, but whoever is playing the game named me Butt. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. But, I mean, Gary, did you subscribe to their Patreon to follow along with their Pokemon journey? Yeah, but only because I know they'll need help from me along the way. Catch the Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow Games Club by subscribing at the $10 DJ Toad tier at patreon.com slash supernpcradio to hit new episodes every Friday. you! We'll see you there, listeners. Gotta catch
1: them all! mm
0: Welcome back to Call Me By Your Game, the podcast where I, your host Connor McCabe, bring on a guest to hear from them about a meaningful video game from a particular moment in their life. We'll talk to our guest uh, about not only what made the game fun and memorable enough for them to bring on today, but we'll also dive into the context of their life of when and how they had this meaningful time with it. Uh, in the first place. Uh, it's a bit of a biographical nostalgia show, if you will. A little bit of housekeeping up top uh, is that I'm going to have link, links for anything that we share today, any plugs that we have in the show notes. So if you want to follow us on social media, you can do that on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can also support the show by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if it's a, a, a well-meaning review, I'll read it on the show. I said that for so long, I'll break the fourth wall a little bit here. I said that for so long, for like three and a half years doing this show, not once getting a bad review, not once having anything under five stars, and I brought this up recently and it's probably too much, uh, Curtis, but uh, we got a review that just said, um, woke groomers nuff said, and it was one (laughs) out of five stars, uh, which I was honestly, if I'm getting a review like that, I'm kind of (laughs) proud. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, uh, it worked for me. So uh, either leave, either show me that you're uh, an idiot or leave a nice review. Uh, anyway, you can also share the show with a friend, whether they love video games in general or the game that our guest has brought on for the main event today. You can check us out on Discord where we have a wonderful community from all of the shows at SuperNPC Radio talking about um, the shows, the podcasts that we have, uh, movies, television, sports, uh, really whatever you want. It's a wonderful crew over there, so if you want to have a respectful time, click the link in the show notes and join our Discord. And lastly, we're also on Patreon. We're over at patreon.com slash supernpcradio, uh, which is uh, that's our podcast network, our little indie video game podcast network that could. Uh, currently, um, our big event that we have going on there uh, is our Quarter 2 Games Club, where we are going through the original Pokemon games, uh, Red, Blue, and Yellow, again, as a crew and recording, in a book club style format, our journey through Kanto. Um, coming out, the the episode that will be coming out this week when this podcast is released will be, I believe, episode four. So I think we're going to battle Misty in the Cerulean Gym. So anyway, that's over at the $10 DJ Toad tier. There's three bonus podcasts there a week. If you like me, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. But that'll do it for the uh, housekeeping for this episode, and I'll finally introduce our guest for today. So please welcome to the microphone, comedian and improviser, Curtis Rutherford. Hello. Hey, pal. I know I asked you before the show, but I got to ask again, how you
1: doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Uh, I am bummed because I was going to bring the Woke Groomer game oh. as my video game, but then since somebody else picked Woke Groomer, I was Dang. like, okay. You know I what? loved that on the 3DO.
0: Yeah, it's it was qu- quite quite a, of a an under uh, a, a title that's not often talked about much on the 3DO. Woke groomer, uh, yeah. which I believe it is a uh, pet grooming sim. Um, but the but the yeah the person's opinions they're they're just constantly sharing, and you just got I think bear the brunt of that cleaning session is that what yes. it was
1: yeah it was okay. a dialogue tree and it was always bear brunt of dialogue <laughs> or nod And yes. that, that was it but they yes. just kept grooming it was so pleasant
0: yeah uh really looking forward to uh the remake that has been rumored for switch for a while but Ooh, anyway yeah. uh curtis i'm so glad to have you on the podcast today um, I know you how I know the majority of my guests on this show is that we met through the Los Angeles uh, improv comedy community, um, specifically when we first both – I mean it feels like somehow yesterday and six years ago at the same time when we both were placed on Herald Night. But I think I had kind of seen you around the scene that like summer or early fall mm-hmm. when a lot more New York uh, – uh, the New York uh, people came out to LA and were doing more improv. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's how I like met you. This is all seems like accurate information so far.
1: Yeah, this seems accurate because it was a very because I moved out to Los Angeles in whatever that was, 2019, like mm-hmm. in that like late summer fall, and just like whatever did jams, did like practice things and that, and then I feel like it was getting lucky enough to get. On Harold Night out here, and then yeah, just meeting a bunch of a bunch of people there. So that feels right. Okay,
0: good. I'm um, I'm I'm glad we're ac- accurately recalling history. Um, but you also like I know that uh, you had done a ton of improv in New York, and I don't know specifically about your history there. So like, are you from the New York area? How did you get involved in that back there?
1: I mean, so my dad was in the army, so we moved around a lot growing up, and gotcha. then. I lived in – so I went to college in Olympia, Washington, and then went after that to pay off student loans, uh, moved up to Seattle, and, like, made donuts for three years. Whoa. (laughs) And, yeah, and it was just kind of like, okay, what's a job that I can do? And I'd done a lot of, like, factory jobs and weird jobs like that. Okay. So I got a job making donuts. I did that for, like, three years, and one of the guys, one of the baristas, like, the the barista manager, one time – I was making donuts during the day. He would like, if there was nobody in the shop, he would just kind of come back and shoot the shit with me. And he was taking short form classes. Oh. And I'd like seen one of his shows and it was okay. It was short form in <laughs> Seattle. It was it was weird. But anyways, one day he came back and he was like, Okay, so we tried this thing called the Herald. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm go. gonna ex-
1: and like <laughs> and he tried to explain it and also how they do the Herald in Seattle is insane for any improv nerd people here mm. it's like 45 minutes long there's 12 people on stage it's weird but anyways he like tried to explain this and he was like there's this group called UCB which I knew from their sketch comedy show oh. that does it in New York and then me and my Girlfriend at the time moved to New York and cuz she got a job with like the teaching fellows and I like mm. got off the plane used the last of my money to pay in cash at the training center for a improv class cuz this was like 2006 wow. I think and then like took a 101 in one week and then just kind of kept going and then yes. just kept taking improv classes after that
0: Wow, that's an incredible journey that I would have never guessed started with making donuts. That's <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I would actually, I someday will pick your brain about that process even more because that sounds incredibly interesting and probably to some listeners more interesting than the improv talk but <laughs> it's qu- like uh just inevitable on the show and our little listeners know it comes with the territory uh that there's a lot of improv talk but that also is often helpful for me to like connect the dots with people that um maybe I don't know as well like yourself so that's so interesting is it did the training was the training center always well m- maybe you can tell me I went to the training center in New York one time, and that was at, I think, DCM 2018 to get my wristband. Was it in the
1: same (laughs) building for a while? It had probably just moved from that one because that – I think they were then on, like, 8th Avenue, but before that they had been on 6th Avenue for a long time. Gotcha. And then they, like, moved to a bigger space where they actually had, like – real couches and, and whatever. And there were a lot more classrooms. Um, and then it was there, I think, up until the end or up until like pandemic slash yes. the end. Yeah.
0: Okay. Very cool. Um, that's 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 so uh, fun and is filling in some really like interesting information about you for me. Um, but yeah, obviously I know you out here. You're an incredibly funny and uh, intelligent improviser. Someone who like, I think one of the last scenes I got to see you do was just like, I think Ghost was doing a group game where there was, and this is really in the weeds now, but I'm just going to get into it. Uh, you were doing a group game that I think was like at uh, a play or a performance of some sort. And I just remember your commitment was just like had myself and I think the audience so dialed in. Um, so incredibly funny improviser, great Thank comedian. You. But what do you want to share about yourself that maybe we haven't? Uh, uh, brought up for the listener yet. Is there anything we should know about you? Anything we should keep our eyes out for?
1: I mean, I also... I mean, obviously, we'll get to, like, plug plugs. But in Mm -hmm. addition to improv, I also do... I like tutor kids and teach a lot of test prep. And I did a lot of... um, I used to work for, like, Princeton Review, and I wrote a lot of their materials. And then during the pandemic, when I was board, I like wrote an SAT math prep book and like figured Whoa. out like, okay, how do you, how do you typeset and like make all of the graphics for this? And so, yeah, if anybody's about to take the SAT and needs help with the math, laser focus on SAT math.
0: Wow. Incredible. Um, that's, that's amazing. Uh, I don't even know where to start with that, but that is like lights out and some, again, something I didn't know about you at all. Um, uh, so ant it's fair to assume very anti ACT person right there's there's you have to be in one camp
1: i now honestly they're almost the same actually it was <laughs> maybe f- like 5 6 years ago the mm-hmm. SAT they were like losing market share and so they directly copied the ACT so at this point they are almost the same test <laughs> it is purely like a coke versus pepsi like wow. it doesn't really matter
0: type thing gosh uh well very cool very interesting um curtis i want to get into your history with video games in general but before we do so will you please uh introduce what you've brought on today and call me by your game
1: you can call me star control 2 the urquan masters incredible Uh, So yeah, so the game that I'm bringing on is called Star (laughs) Control 2, but then uh, just as a very brief, because I'm sure we'll get to it later, but also then the the creator of the game later on to release it himself, the name Star Control 2 is still owned by Accolade or whoever bought Accolade or something like that. And so he wanted to release this game that he made and loved into the public domain, but because they own the name Star Control 2... He used the name of the big bad guys who are the Irquan oh. and I think the subtitle was Star Control 2, the Irquan Masters. And so he said, well, I'm going to release it just as the Irquan Masters. So that's the game I bring on, Star Control 2, which was then re-released, and you can now find now as uh, in the public domain as the Irquan Masters. Very cool. Uh, that makes sense why while
0: doing research for this episode and learning about this game it's in some video they they said you can play it for free now so i guess that is that's connecting the dots for me there um well i'm so excited to hear from you about this game that i am truly learning about this week and oftentimes those are the most fun and interesting for me um but let's get into your history with games in general i'd love to know If you can remember either specifically or generally
1: when you first took an interest in video games. So like we we had neighbors that had like a Nintendo. We never had a Nintendo or anything like that. But like growing up like the Nintendo was the only thing right. This was like yeah mid 80s or whatever and so definitely i had like friends that had nintendo at one point one friend very nicely let me borrow his nintendo for a month and Whoa. so i like i like got to play all of the games that like we, I was unable to play. So I was like very into all of that. Our neighbors also had an Atari where you could play the, it was like a basketball game of like oh. little stick men throwing a basketball <laughs> into a hoop. And that I was like probably six or something. And that blew my mind. Yeah. So I was like very early into video games, even though we had absolutely no access until fifth grade, uh, we moved to Kansas and my dad was because he was an officer Oftentimes, officers have in the army have to go to. It's called CGSC. It's the Command and General Staff College. Hmm. Where basically it's officer school, and so for like a year, everybody learns war or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so for that, we we bought a computer because he was gonna have to write a bunch of papers, and the computer came with I think it was called like Reader Rabbit and a couple other like Broderbund learning games wow and i got super into those like the where in the world is carmen san diego mm-hmm. their games but they also had all of these games where it was like walk through this mansion and shine and try to do math problems really quickly to solve the mystery like that kind of thing
0: yeah some great like edutainment
1: yes exactly
0: yeah. Did you ever um, play? This is this is a little off topic. Go and, for it. Uh, did you ever play another game by Broderbund called The Logical Journey of the Are You familiar with this no. at all? Well, this is a this is a wild game that like we have actually. So there's a version. This is how I connect uh, us to the to the Patreon. We do. I do a version of my show every month called the Co-op Series, where uh, just once, I think it's the third Tuesday, I release more of a panel version of this show on there. And a couple years ago, we. We did an episode on the logical journey of the Zumbinis. It's it's a problem-solving like logic game for for kids, but it does get difficult. Anyway, uh just was curious if you had played it and the answer is no.
1: Yeah. But also I real there's so many of those games cuz I know it came with several others that I know by sound and sight but could not tell you the name but i'm sure if i sat down it's like that feeling of like dropping into an old game of like oh i know where all the secrets are here i still remember all that yes there's
0: one like that for me that i believe i played at like a a friend from school's house her i think i mentioned this recently her dad had this game on the pc and then eventually i think either he gave it to me or we borrowed it but it was some sort of first-person perspective, old PC game, maybe even a DOS game, where you were, like, in a mech, I want to say, or something like that, flying around, and that's my that's my mystery game by sight and sound. But I could not tell you what it is. It's a complete mystery. Yeah. Um, so, uh, So you had gotten this computer. That just seems like things took off for you then.
1: Yes. Yeah, then it was. Well, but we still, like, I didn't have a lot of games until, like, maybe... Sixth grade, seventh grade, like it was like getting stuff from friends mostly. Yes. Like I would definitely buy some, Um, which mostly I would buy like Dungeons and Dragons games because mm. I was just starting to get into that. And there were a lot of those like first person dungeon crawler type games Yeah, where you would just go one block at a time. <laughs> like the first person was like one step below Wolfenstein 3D. Yes. Right. Bard's Tale, like that type of thing. Wow. Did you
0: ever get into like text adventure stuff because that seems like a little adjacent to the to those types
1: not really i would try some of it but i was always so bad at the like knowing what to type and like i took some like programming classes and we'd have like an old like zenith Mm. where like the first like like rogue i think from the term roguelike and roguelite comes from this game like Rogue, which was, I think, on a Zenith 800 or something like that. I could yes. be wrong, whatever. But anyways, it had those styles of games, and I would always try to play them, and it would be like, pick up the bottle, and it would not know what to do. And you'd have to say, <laughs> wait, grasp the glass container. Like, knowing the dialogue, the yeah. like language for those was always so specific that I couldn't f- figure it out and get really into them.
0: I totally i can uh just relate to that and i i feel like that would spill over for me to even playing the occasional uh point and click adventure would be like i know generally what the heck i'm supposed to be doing but i'm not clicking the right like verb with the item
1: to do it Mm -hmm. um so i can i can relate to you there yeah and those games especially it's you have to solve it in our way Mm -hmm. And that's it. If you have thought of some other way, sorry, we wanted you to. There's one like infamous puzzle where it's like you have to trick a guy into shaving off his mustache so you can use the mustache to like tickle a cat (laughs) three like that kind of thing where it's like, why would I think of this? Yes. So, yeah. So I didn't get as into those those types. It was mostly like space games and dungeon crawlers i got super super into and uh wolfenstein and, and like anything in shareware yes. like do you remember shareware yeah so i did a lot of like anything i could get through shareware a friend would give me his like shareware stuff and i would play the first level of a bunch of games and that's it
0: yes uh cuz doom was uh, was was a version of doom popular with shareware yes yes
1: yeah it only had it had the wad file just for the first level of the or the not the first level but the first like campaign because there were okay. like three sections so you could play through the first part and then at the end it would say like send $20 to yeah. id games if you want more
0: that'd be a way to get some uh, that's a great like demo of a game like a nice chunk to get somebody yes. hooked too yeah Wow. Were you, so you – I mean you had talked about getting friends from like uh, – or games from friends. And for me, sometimes it's the other way around. Um, but um, like do you remember um, any that you had borrowed that were particularly impactful to you at that
1: time? Um, a lot of them – let me think. Oh, privateer I got from a friend, which was mostly – so this is the wing commander – it was for the Wing Commander ser- Wing Commander series, which mostly up until then had been, you know, like narrative games. They mm-hmm. made the movie about it, and like way after the games were popular, in like the late '90s, there was a Wing Commander game starring like Freddie Prince Jr. Ju- or what, Wing Commander movie starring Freddie Prince Jr. What? and I forget who else. It's very like <laughs> late '90s. This is who our A-list people are. Yes. Um, but the, there were those games which I never played much, but Privateer, it was like, um, if you've played any of the Everspace games or any of those games where you have a you have a ship and you are flying around and you have to buy, or No Man's Sky is basically, it's oh, pre-No wow. Man's Sky. You have a ship, you can go place to place, you buy and sell things, and there's kind of a story that you can stumble through, but mostly you're like warping from solar system to solar system. Okay, interesting. And that had a huge effect on me because it was um it was this giant open universe game, which Urquan, we're gonna get to is kind of the same. Yeah. But also I had a 386 uh PC, which there was like there was basically 286, 386, and then at the at that time like the 486 had come out, and then at some point they kind of dropped that numbering and moved on to much better PCs. Yeah. But anyways, like the privateer could just barely run on my computer (laughs) and I had to like learn how to like change, like there was like the autoexec.bat in DOS, which is what it reads when it first boots up the computer. And I had to like learn, okay, how do you strip out all of the programs I don't need and make a separate autoexec.bat that when I put in this disk into my A drive, it reads that and says, don't load Windows, don't load this only load this one sound driver that we need this one video driver but also we have to give it extra like whatever extra ram Uh for that and because i only had four megabytes of ram in this at that point this was (laughs) like seventh grade at this point like kind of like not super new computer um just learning all of that like that was kind of like a lot of the beginning of learning how do i adjust this computer to my needs as a gamer
0: that sort of adjusting that you're talking about with a system can even feel like uh, like such a challenge in today's age where it's so much more intuitive and laid out for you. Um, but I'm like hearing you talk about learning to like program as a kid to make a game work for you that's incredible
1: it was yeah it was super fun and also <laughs> like so I just like, Finally built my first PC like the, like two weeks ago. I'd, Whoa, I'd fixed a lot of things. Thank you. I'd like, you know, done like, oh, I need to fix the fan. I need to put in more RAM or whatever. But I'd never like from the bottom up built one. Yes. And it was so easy because I literally just looked for a YouTube thing. I bought all the parts and then it was like, okay, what do they say I should do? And do that. But then, wow. of course, this was like way, way pre- any real internet beyond like BBSs and that kind of thing. And so it was a lot of just like, okay, let me change something. Oh, it's not turning on anymore. Let me take out that disc, load it up and then go back into the disc and try to change like exactly how much. Ram can I allocate to this and to this? Cause a lot of it was, if you have four megabytes, this, you would set how much Ram was allocated to each part of your computer. Wow. Boot it up.
0: That is absolutely incredible. Um, I I would be remiss if I didn't say that I also built my first PC this year in like late January. Actually Congrats. Thank you. Mutual friend of ours, Tao Yang, like yeah. was a really helpful guide for me of sending me like a a whole like a website that like helped you choose what you needed parts wise for yeah. what you're going to be doing. And um and then I also did a lot of like YouTube I was I watched YouTube videos over and over to like try and learn it and even then like it all worked out. It went great, but it was like a slow meticulous process for sure. Yes. Um
1: but it so, feels like defusing a bomb. Like when I was putting it together it's like okay, don't don't screw up these pins, don't put this in the wrong thing like, Yes.
0: Every little step felt like I was taking like triple the amount of time that you really needed for it just to make sure I didn't screw it up. Uh But uh, so congrats to us, really, for being a couple of PC builders. Um, So did you remain a – because I haven't been a PC kid my whole life. I've had, like, periods. Was that your main form of gaming after that era
1: you were just referring to? Pretty much. Like, we got – I got a Game Boy when we moved actually to Kansas only because we would – So the army, like when they relocate you, you know, you like move every year, every two years, Mm -hmm. they normally like give you like a lump sum and say, basically like get to the new place. This is, this is how much you have money to move. And then, so to save some of that money, rather than like fly out, we would just drive, we would load up as much as we could in the car and then drive from place to place. So like we drove from like Washington to Kansas and then to Virginia and then back to Colorado. Wow. And like, but to keep, you know, like a bored fourth grader <laughs> uh entertained, they got me and my sister a Game Boy. And so that was like my other one was just playing a lot of Tetris, a lot of Super Mario Land. Yes. That kind of thing.
0: That's uh that's fantastic. Um man, the Game Boy. I've been thinking about the Game Boy a lot as I've, you know, you probably heard me talking about Pokémon Red, Blue and Yellow mm-hmm. earlier. Uh have a lot of nostalgia for that system for sure. When when did you uh get your first gaming console outside of the game boy
1: outside of that it wasn't until we lived in germany me and my sister got a nintendo 64 and that was also like oh we are in germany there's not a lot that we can get you really we were also like staying in pretty cramped quarters yes and So, yeah, so my parents got us a Nintendo 64 for Christmas, which was incredible. And we had, like, we had Wave Race, which the graphics were incredible. The Mm -hmm. water, I'm sure that it looks terrible now. (laughs) But it was, like, that. And then Mario, which, um, what's the Mario for that? Uh, Mario 64. Yes, yes. Right? Amazing. Mm -hmm. And, like, just, like, that was, like, our first, like, console console. And it was also, like the like classic my sister's four years younger than me Mm -hmm. so we would like play through levels she couldn't play any of the water levels she would get very scared like swimming down and having the eels come at you she could not do so she would have to leave the room i would play that level like that kind of thing but that was our first like console console where it wasn't either me playing a game by myself on the computer or one of us playing the game boy
0: yeah a little more of a shared experience uh there as much as you could that's that's so great. Uh, and I'm since you were in Germany, I'm just like assuming it had to be the PAL N64. The no, like-
1: it was because it was on base. They would like – it was the American N64. But early on, like to go back to PC building, one of the first – we moved halfway through the year, uh-huh. the like school year, and they didn't know what to do with me. So they just like – I was the teacher's assistant for like five different teachers for the first half of the year because literally they were like, you moved through the year – we can't just put you in an English class because they're already working on stuff. So we're going to give stuff. you a job. Yes, that was that was literally it. I for part of the day, I would go across the uh, street and help the elementary school, help a teacher there, but most of the time I started as the assistant to the one of the gym teachers there and he like literally took one look at me. I was like a very short, skinny <laughs> guy and he was like, uh, what can you do?" And I was like, "I don't No, Uh, and then he went. Okay, hold on, my friend, and uh, uh, my friend, the computer guy is gonna help you out. And so he just passed me off to the computer teacher. But anyways, because we were in Germany, I ended up like fixing a lot of the the PCs for the school. Yeah. But the big, the my first, like my huge mistake that kept running through my head while I was building this PC was in Germany they use two twenty volts, and Mm -hmm. here you know we use or we use one twenty or whatever and i was fixing one guy's computer and i didn't realize he had it plugged into a uh, a 110 outlet or whatever and i like plugged it in the power supply exploded oh, and it was no. like i then had to like try to explain to the teacher what happened he was like oh no it's just you have to switch from there's a there's a little switch in the back of the power supply that you switch because the plugs are different yes on one side but not on the other right so the plug that you plug into your power supply you can easily plug in a U.S. outlet mm-hmm. cord into. Anyways. Wow.
0: what That's a whole journey that we could just like – between that and the donut making, it's just like you've given – there's so much I want to know more about your life. Um,
1: I've, I've that, had a lot of very weird jobs. It was especially moving around. I like never did the like normal jobs. So then yes. in college it was like, okay, I'm just going to work a bunch of factory jobs for four years, especially – yeah. summers and, and stuff like that
0: that's that's incredible I, i've got uh two more questions i want to ask you about your history with gaming but but it even sounds like we could this often happens where i have someone who likes games a lot has been playing them their whole lives we could talk about this for the whole episode but um after you know that period of your life the the between the n64 era and um And maybe, like, more recent history, is there another console or system or experience that you want to highlight
1: gaming-wise? Just because it's one that I don't know how big it was, but, like, freshman year of college, I, like, I still had, I had, like, my... My PC that I then, it was the old PC that i had like updated and updated and that was in now college. It was maybe a new one. It was like the old family one, maybe the second one after that or something. So I was playing a lot on that, but also just because it was a dorm, we had uh, one of my, one of my dorm mates, his best friend from Alaska was like an Alaskan fisherman. And he would like for three months of the year, he would commercial fish. Yeah make a shitload of money. And then you would work 20 hours day, 20 hour days. Oof. Right. It's incredibly dangerous because you're never sleeping. And he would spend the first like couple months after that, just like getting high and just trying to readjust to real life again. Yeah. But he would like stay with us. And so he then became good friends with me and he would stay with us. And he would just, because you would make $60,000 in six months, which, or like something like that, yeah. which is a good amount of money now, an insane amount of money if you're yeah. a 20-year-old who in, to make in three months. So he would, like, buy video game systems and whatever, Mountain Dew and pizza all of the time. But he had a Dreamcast. That was a Ooh. long explanation to explain how we had access to a Dreamcast. No, I'm, I'm glad you gave us those details. Yes. Be- and the Dreamcast was great because... Again, it's console, right? So, like, all four of us could play. Each controller had a little... The the VMU. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so you could like look at the little screen in the controller, which was useful for certain things. We would mostly play Worms. Oh my god! Or like whatever the version of Worms is, right? Where where it's like, it was a version of like the Scorch and the Tanks and actually Cubasic Gorillas, which I mentioned in an email. The like, you have to pick the angle and then shoot and uh, kill people. Uh We would play a bunch of that. We would play a bunch of like uh, Crazy Taxi and... Um, there was some, like, gem fighting game, which I cannot remember the name uh, of. Power Stone. Power Stones. We would yes. play that all the time. And that was probably Ooh. all we played on the Dreamcast, but we played the hell out of those those three games. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, gosh, that is... There's a few consoles that get
0: mentioned with a lot of, like, warmth in people's hearts. Uh, and that is... It's often the consoles, I want to say, like, that and the GameCube get brought up a lot because... They were both commercial failures and the Dreamcast so much so that – to where that was the final console Sega made. But so many people from like uh, friend groups and
1: generations
0: just adored them because they still had incredible experiences on them. Yeah.
1: Um, I think there's also a little bit of the like – you know, there's the old adage of, like, the best year that SNL had was whenever you were in high school, yeah. right? Like, that was the best cast of SNL. There is some of that of, like, whatever console you had as, like, a high schooler in college, something like that, that is the best console ever.
0: Yes. Yeah. I I know that that is true because of, like, I'm a big fan of the Zelda series, and my favorite Zeldas are the first two I played, which were when I was 10. So, go figure. Um Yeah. Is that uh, was that N64 what was that? Yes, so I play so my first one, my intro to the series was uh, Ocarina of Time. Um great intro to have. G- great. I mean, for so many reasons I think. I think it's really easy to digest like I could d- talk about it forever and then um I played that the same year that Majora's Mask came out and that mm-hmm. game like I was excited and ready for and is my personal favorite game of all time at this point in my life. Uh, uh, it's yeah. Anyway, I could talk about this the Zelda series forever. Um, and, yeah, that's same. Why, and that's why we did a games club series <laughs> on it two years ago. Uh, when we released those for free, I, I've got, to send you the link to the, uh, to the episodes. If you ever want to listen to them. Yes. But, um, the last question I want to ask you about your history with gaming is, has there been an experience in, uh, or a game in the last few years,
1: uh, that you would like to highlight Oh, um, I mean, obviously like pandemic wise, I did a lot of my girlfriend and I played a lot of animal crossing. We like Mm -hmm. went hard into animal crossing. That was like, she also moved in, uh, with, with me like yeah d- at, like june of whatever 2020 like midway like or like beginning of the pandemic what we then thought was like near the end yes. <laughs> but she like moved in both into like my physical apartment and moved into my animal crossing island <laughs> which added extra stress um but yeah that i think got us through of just like oh there's something to do every day yes um, and I played a lot of Satisfactory, which is like a 3d factory building game. Wow back to your uh, roots. I know. And you mentioned you mentioned Teo. Teo's more of a um, factorio fan. We've he and I have discussed this, which he's wrong about. It's factorio's <laughs> great. but sa- like I love exploring alien planets like first person, yeah and then building factories and and whatever spreadsheets, all of that stuff.
0: That's that's so cool. Have you? I mean, I got sort of a bonus question. You hearing you talking about that? Have you gotten into VR gaming at all? Because that's something that I've still barely touched.
1: Only a little bit. So, like, only now my new PC, my new PC could run all of that, but I don't have the uh, the headset. Yeah. I've played a little bit because one of my good friends from college who helped, was my who was my Teo for building this. Oh. <laughs> Um, he has a set. And so I played, uh, before I moved out here, I would come out like almost every year and visit him and a couple other people mm-hmm. and like come out to LA and he had one. And so I played the, I played super hot in yeah. VR. In like, I love super hot period. Like yeah. I think one of like, like top whatever games, Ooh. of in- but pl- have you played it in VR? I, that's the only way I've played it. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's great wherever, but yeah, playing it in VR is so, like, it feels like I am Neo. This yes. is the Matrix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fulfilling t- a top fantasy for me, basically. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. I, I was thinking about that because you were talking about uh, the these factory games and being in first person, and there's a game that came out. This will be a bonus wreck if either of us can ever play it. There's a game ca- that came out last year. It's a VR game called The Last Clockwinder, where you are essentially, I mean, it's its in a first-person perspective. The game will remember your motions, and you're essentially completing puzzles in a sort of assembly line. Is that the word I want to use? Assembly line uh, style, but only mm-hmm. using your motions. So let's say you've got to get this green apple, uh, like, into another room in a basket is, like, You would first start off with your VR uh, equipment and you would throw the apple across the room. And then that motion you did would be repeated over and over. And then so then you walk over to where the ball is being, or the apple's being thrown. Right. And you catch it and have to like do some other sort of uh, thing to get it closer. So um, I'm not doing it justice the way I'm recommending it, but. It seems awesome. So that's a wreck for both of us, I guess.
1: And yeah, that's definitely a <coughs> game I could very much get into, but also like, so pure into the, like, that's literally what Henry Ford would sit with a stopwatch in factories and like timing the, like the poor people paid, you yes. know, cents on the hour to make a model T of like, you have to throw the part faster and faster. And now we're doing it as a game.
0: Yeah. And now we've, uh, we've sanitized it <laughs> for some VR game. Um, curtis uh thank you for sharing me you know uh, a brief amount of your history with video games this has been so much fun already we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk all about your experience with star control 2 so i'll see you on the other side Welcome back to Call Me By Your Game, of course, here with Curtis Rutherford to discuss Star Control 2, the Urquan Masters. Curtis, welcome back. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Uh, Like I was telling you before the show, I'm going to give uh, some brief history and context about the game, do a little table setting for the listener, Um, but of course, if you want to jump in at any time or add anything on, permission granted, Um, because as I told you, I've just learned about this game. Since you decided to bring it on, and you probably know a lot more about it, but here I go. Um, Star Control 2 The Urquan Masters is a 1992 video game. The sequel to, you guessed it, Star Control. It was developed by Toys for Bob, uh, which were uh, the, and the two main designers were Fred Ford and Paul. Is it? I don't, you might know Reich or Raishi the third. I'm
1: not sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll
0: guess. I'll guess Reich because it's at least similar to that last name. Um, Are you familiar with this production company, this studio, uh, Toys for Bob, at all? Because I actually was.
1: Only a little bit. I know the name and that's it. What do you know them from?
0: I know them from – you might know uh, Anna Garcia. Anna, two years ago, brought on Disney Extreme Skate Adventure, which was a Tony Hawk – it was basically a clone of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 uh, where – but it's Disney skating. Right, so they
1: just reskinned?
0: essentially yeah and they have like some disney characters in there like uh like young tarzan and i want to say woody um from toy story and uh toys for bob they've done so much over the years but that's the game i associate them with so to see this on the game especially as i learn more about star control 2 i was like that is very different from what they've done before um but anyway uh this game was originally published by accolade in 1992 for MS-DOS, uh, the game features exoplanet, abundant star systems, hyperspace travel, extraterrestrial life, and interstellar diplomacy, with the game featuring 25 different alien races with which communicating is possible. Uh, released to critical acclaim, Star Control 2 is widely viewed today as one of the greatest PC games ever made and has appeared on numerous publications, uh, publication lists of the greatest video games of all time. Uh, Curtis mentioned the 3DO earlier in the podcast, and this game was eventually ported to that by Crystal Dynamics in 1994 with an enhanced multimedia presentation allowed by the CD technology of the 3DO. Uh, the source code of that port was licensed under GPL 2.0 or later in 2002, and the game content other under uh, a bunch of letters and numbers I'm not going to say. Um, but... Uh, This code was ported to the PC, as Curtis was telling me before the show, as the Urquan Masters, um, because the the designers wanted there to be a free-to-play version. Um, uh, You had mentioned that to me. I thought that was just such an interesting uh, little uh, piece of history about this game.
1: And, like, such a strange... It was also, like, Accolade or whoever bought Accolade and bought them just owned the name and just, like, the idea of, like, okay, we have to for... IP and the naming rights—we just can't call it the same thing, but it can be the same game. Feels so arbitrary and entertainment yeah. lawyery. And I'm surprised that like
0: that, f- even that flew. Like you would think there were more people would do that, but anyway, um, uh, that's just you know some very basic information about the game. Curtis, uh, as someone who you know knows this game very well are there any other important uh, details or bullet points that we should include about the game before we dive into uh, your history, whether it be like, this is how the game is presented or this is an important gameplay element?
1: I mean, if you have played almost any space game since, it probably has some DNA with this. And obviously some of this is just shared things like whatever traveling system to system is going to be present in any of them. But there's things like, um, you know, Mass Effect one, like, uh, do you remember, so you I've know how, that. like, okay, you know how you have to like, you go to planets and you like scan and you get the little land or, yes. or whatever it is that is directly from this game.
0: I honestly doing research for it. I was like, I am seeing that so, uh, obviously right now.
1: Yeah. And it's like, obviously then, you know, there's so many things that they can take in different ways, but. It is a huge, huge game in a time where it was really, like, most games were not that big. Or if they were, they were, like, really stupidly procedurally generated. Like, it mm-hmm. was like, okay, you go to another dungeon that looks the same, and that's it, right? Yes. And there is... It's like, you mentioned you, you can interact with the alien races, but you affect the reality of it in a way that... I haven't seen really in another game since, right? There's a lot of games where it's like, whatever your dialogue matters. If you pick this, then this character dies. But if you pick this, then three scenes later, this person dies. Right. And it definitely affects, but this, like the best analog I could give is it, if, It's like if you were like playing Witcher and like, okay, you're playing Witcher 3 and you tell one of the characters this and then her kingdom collapses (laughs) and you can't go there anymore.
0: Wow. Such a huge, uh, I guess, uh, scale of effect that could happen in that game that is that goes beyond um, just like an interpersonal relationship or one character's fate rather. Yeah. Uh, Super impressive for any game, let alone a game from 1992. Um, uh, was there
1: anything else you're like? Oh, I gotta include this before we dive into your history. Um, this is very minor and dumb, but because so I mentioned Wing Commander earlier. Yes, a lot of the like Privateer and Wing Commander games, they were they were like experimenting with. Um, voice with like oh you can actually hear oh. the actors talk and not just dialogue but the problem is they didn't have down or it, they they couldn't spend the time to properly sync the lip movements with mouth Okay. so if you play any of the old like Wing Commander privateer games it's people talking but they're literally just moving their lips as <laughs> fast as possible which I won't be able to do in an audio thing but it's literally yes. is what it looks like And then just their dialogue. But in this, they eventually had voice for it, but because it's all alien races and every alien race is like completely different, completely different personality, music. The music is amazing, the drawing, but it's just none of them are really humanoid or very few of them are humanoid. So they completely bypassed all of that by just like, oh, this jelly guy is wobbling as he speaks. But you don't care what his voice, what what his, there's no lips, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, no one can reasonably
0: be like, oh, well, he, he wasn't wobbling the same way when he said that, uh, enunciated that word that time. Uh, yeah. That's a really, uh, interesting and cool workaround for, for that, I guess, if you want to call it a problem, but just that challenge, I guess, yeah, with, uh, with the implementation of dialogue in earlier games and even to this day. Um, uh, Okay, great. Well, the first question I want to ask, and I don't don't think you previewed this necessarily specifically earlier, which is how did you
1: discover this game? So this was one of the games that a friend gave me and I know a friend gave it to me because there was we talked about shareware, right? Shareware, you could just pass the disc and then, oh, we all get to play this game Um, like the Wolfenstein 3D map editor was given to me as shareware and we would just make maps in Wolfenstein for each other and pass that. Wow. But for like actual games, they would normally have the um the like do not copy piracy protection, right? And it was normally especially for a lot of the a lot of the like 3D dungeon crawler type games or the pseudo 3D dungeon crawlers, it would be take the instruction booklet You would boot up the game and the game would say, what is the fifth word on the seventh page? (laughs) Right. And you would have to like look that up. And so me and my friends would like Xerox copy the instruction booklets. And so I remember still like there are some games that (laughs) I only know of as like, oh, this is I would highlight the words so I could remember what they were. But for Star Control, the the check for that was there was a giant map, Mm. right, of the entire like universe And they would ask you, what is the star at this coordinate? And so you would have to look at like each coordinate on the map to then start the game. So I know I got it from a friend because I remember the like very kind of like at that point folded and unfolded many times frayed like one and a half foot by foot map. Yes. Where I would have to look up like, okay, at 322.1 and (laughs) 492.7, there's this star, you type that in, they would say correct, and then you would be able to play the game.
0: Interesting. I love that uh little uh detail from your memory th- there. That's so cool. Do, was it one that you think you as far as you can remember you were just like, "Oh, sure, I'll try it," or like uh or was it one that you had seen and taken an interest no, in? No, I
1: like I think it was literally I don't remember how it was given to me. Yeah. It was probably my friend Dustin who like lived down the street would like always give me these games that he had played and loved. But I don't remember anything other than that, but then just like starting it, just getting right into it right away. Cool. Um, well, then that being the case, um,
0: like what hooked you about this game or what do you remember
1: enjoying to bring you back? It's like obviously the pure exploration, which we're now very used to like, oh, mm-hmm. like whatever. You can wander around all of Elden Ring. Like we're we're more used to that. It's less of uh, of a surprise now. Yes. But the fact that you start off with this like alien technology ship that's like a skeleton, like literally it's like a spine and then you can add different um, components to it to make your ship better or worse. Right. You start off with that. You like pull up to Earth, which has been covered in like a red shell so nobody can get in or out of Earth. So you can't really communicate with them. And then after that, you just have to like wander around and you meet some aliens right away, like outside of Pluto they think you're... The, and you have this choice. You can say, like, hey, I'm going to destroy you or not. And whether you destroy them or not then affects their entire relationship with you for the rest of the game, right? Wow. And they're a very goofy alien, so it's kind of like you're, you're being nudged towards becoming friends <laughs> yes. with them. Um, but right away, I remember loving that, like, oh, I get to make this choice, and then we get to see what happens. As soon as you become friends with him on the big map that you can pull up in the game, you then see a little circle of where that alien is. Mm. Here's our home world. And then there's a little circle of these are the planets that we own. And if you go to any of those planets within that circle, you'll see their ships. But as you play the game, let's say something happens and you discover another alien race next to them. If they're fighting the like, first alien, the Fathi, I think they're called, their circle might shrink and now when you go to their stars, you don't see their ships anymore. You see these other ships from this other alien race that's now fighting them or they might like move. So it's just the absolute control of like discovering all of these new aliens, discovering where they live, but also seeing that change as you play the game is is what I loved. Because they're There's one, there's one race that's like, there aren't a lot of like pure good or bad alien races. It's all kind of like, there's some where it's like, oh, hey, we're pretty nice, but actually we deal in human slaves. Yeah. I hope that's not a problem. But most of them are like kind of in between. And there's one kind of religious zealot race Mm -hmm. that you can, they've essentially like split off kind of Vulcan and Romulan style. And you can tell them like, hey, you should go try to reconnect with your other, this other alien race. Or you can tell them not to. And if I remember, minor spoiler, sometimes if you haven't done certain things, if they try to reconnect, the other, the like Romulans, just kill them. Oh my God. And so you get to see their sphere of influence move across this giant map. And then at a certain point, it reaches their Romulans. I can't Mm -hmm. remember the name. And then they die. And then like those guys are now gone for the rest of the game. Wow.
0: That is. That's nuts. I'm thinking about, I mean, just a couple weeks ago had, uh, like we were talking about earlier, had Sarah Klaspel on to talk about Civilization Five, mm-hmm. And this is reminding me so much of, like, the different methods that you can play that game and how you could, like, focus on religion and the spreading of your gospel. Yeah. Or you could be, like, a militaristic-focused, I guess, country. Um, Did this— so, but it sounds like this game was also it was very
1: dialogue focused, at least when with the interaction or with there the more interactions, access? and then it was kind of like it's exploration, dialogue, and then combat, basically yes. is how I would break it apart, right? And so yeah, the interactions are all just you know, standard dialogue trees, which were pretty well written. and I remember yeah. as being pretty like funny and goofy. Each alien race is very different. Yeah. Um, and they do the old like comic book thing of each alien race has its own font. Right. So it just feels (laughs) different, whatever. Um, But then the other thing that drew me to it was the combat part, because this was closer to like what they took, I guess, from Star Control Mm one. But the reason we played it a bunch is you could play the combat separately from the game. Oh, where you just like, oh, pick a couple ships. The other person picks a couple ships, and then you play. And one person would play on one side of the keyboard, and then the other person, normally my sister, would play on the other side yes. of the keyboard. So you could, like, do little battles just of that. Oh, cool. It's, all, it's uh, very similar to how, like, an,
0: like I'm thinking of, like, Banjo-Kazooie, how you could just go play the mini games if you exactly. want. Exactly oh that's interesting i I got to watch um you know researching for this episode watched some of the uh some footage of these battles that you would have in space and like I, what do you remember about that was
1: that was it challenging was it fun it was every every ship played very differently mm-hmm. so whether I was playing like with my sister or my friends or you're playing in the game you had like your big ship that you could use yes right and that was like but if that dies it's game over mm mm-hmm. Which you can then add to, but it's like bigger. It's probably slower until you upgrade it. But mostly, you have like all these different ships. And like the Earth ship, for instance, shoots like little homing missiles. Mm. Or the aliens that you meet in uh, outside of Pluto, their ship you can just spin instantly, and they shoot. They just like fart out little tiny missiles out the back. Okay. <laughs> so like every ship completely changes how you would play. Yeah. And so, and there was another ship that would just teleport. You just hit the special button, and you teleport. So huh. out of these 20 ships, it was very fun because it was a lot of uh, the little bit of the strategy of, like, they're playing this guy. I know the perfect ship to play against that. Oh, fun. I should play the guy who's just big and just going to tank as hard as possible. Or I need to play the tiny guy who can lay mines or whatever it is or shoot little spikes. Yeah, a bit of rock, paper, scissors there. Exactly. Yeah, that's – you know, that's
0: uh, not that I need to, like, cast a judgment or approval on a game, but it's just fun to hear, like, that – a lot of these systems, including the combat you're talking about, have layers to them and a way to interact that make you feel smart of just, like, yeah. strategy. Uh, that is really cool. Um, uh, I want to uh, – did you have, like – do you remember at all having, like – well, you just told, kind of told me that depending on the enemy you'd fight, you would be able to switch up who you would be. Yeah. Um, Were there any that you would be like, oh, this is my go-to and
1: what I'm going to lean on initially? I liked, there was one kind of like a little butterfly ship. That was the one that teleported, but Uh it was quick. You could turn fast and you could like shoot pretty quickly. So it was pretty weak, but you could really like, you could literally just like run circles around the other ships. And that's always been like my style. I'm very much, even in like first person shooters, I'm like a scout sniper type player, much more than a tank or whatever. I mean, that even just hearing you talk about that I'm
0: it's it's so interesting to see how that can translate for different people from game to game and for you it sounds like you might have a similar initial strategy but for someone else might be like not in that game in that game I am tanking it up yeah uh, that's that's really cool were there any um uh game wise any memorable
1: moments in the game for you uh that you can recall um Definitely watching any alien race die. And there's a big Mm. part where it's like for most of the game, you're fighting the Urquan, right? They are like the masters. They've enslaved you. Late in the game, suddenly a new alien race appears. And the entire like sphere that was the Urquan is now overlapped with the this other like offshoot of the Urquan. Who are this like other religious zealots. And again, you then get to pick who you're going to side with. If you don't beat the game within, I think, four years or something, one of the alien races is going to take over and just destroy everybody. And what you start to see them do is it's not game over, they win. Their sphere gets bigger and moves race to race and will wipe out that entire thing. So you then lose like, oh, I can't get more of these butterfly ships because that alien race is now dead.
0: Wow. Uh that like you're having in-game consequences for, for their, like, I guess, uh, not even colonization, but just their like rampant destruction. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) yes. Uh, that's so interesting. Do you ever like, I mean, and feel free, this is a little specific of a question, so feel free to say you don't know, but do you remember any,
1: well, first, is this a game that you revisited throughout your life? Yes, I've played it like once or twice since then, maybe twice, because I know I definitely played it once in college when I was like doing a bunch of the kind of factory jobs. I would just yeah. like come home and just like, whatever, let me, it had just been released to, to, uh, in, in the public domain. So I like downloaded it, played it again, still thought it was awesome. Mm. Um, and I think I've, tr- I've started it one more time, maybe like eight years ago. Sure. Just get yeah. nostalgia for it. And like, hmm, exactly can make right. this
0: work? Uh, I can relate to that with certain games too. Um, That being the case, is there like a specific campaign you did that was memorable, whether it was your first one, uh, like a revisit that changed things up? I'm curious.
1: I think coming back to it, because like there were a lot of, I was surprised by how much I remembered Mm -hmm. of like the different alien races. But the thing that, kept surprising me was there's like certain planets that are rainbow planets where Mm -hmm. they're just like, they have a lot more resources Mm. and there's a whole hyperspace on the other map. And for some reason on my second run through, I remember like really figuring that out more of like, this is how you get from here to here faster. I don't know if it was just because I was older or I was more into saving time and less of, I'm just going to slowly travel. Um, But it was probably Probably that. That's cool. Uh, I
0: love that. Is that is really fun to like have a chance to revisit a game and either learn how to play differently for fun or just like I don't have as much time and yeah. uh, I'm gonna have to literally uh, advance my abilities. Uh, that's cool. I, I would. Can you? Well, back when you first played this game, if you can remember, can you do a little scene painting for me on sure. what the computer setup would been like in,
1: in, in whatever the room was too? So this was – this was in Colorado. So we had – a basement we had just moved to like a new house we had a basement and the previous owners had a pool table which they were like we'll sell it to you for a hundred bucks because that's you know less than will it would cost us to move it basically so we had a pool table which was amazing oh yeah but it was like the basement was the pool table room and then adjoined was basically the office which essentially became Curtis's game room right (laughs) where I would just like sit and you know mess with uh programming and learning all of this and then learning this. So it would be, I was just sitting in this and I remember it being wood paneled. I don't know if that's just my memory, Mm. but it was that style of like semi-finished basement where it's like carpet, wood paneled walls, like that feeling. And then we had the, we had a fold out couch next uh, in the pool table room, Mm. which is when friends would come over. We would then pull out that, into a bed and we would play games either on the PC or if somebody brought over their Nintendo or super Nintendo at that point, we would then play games on the TV downstairs. That's really cool. Uh, I, I love it. And thank you for, for
0: painting that for me. It's hard to beat a basement as a kid. Basements were why one of my best friends had a basement where, uh, they also had their computer set up down there and it's, it was just very memorable. Um, Uh, So that being the case, you know, now that we're back in this time period, is there anything broad or specific that you remember about your life that is, that's notable, whether it's like, oh, I was in this grade doing this or
1: this thing happened? I mean, this was because I was moving every like year or two. Mm -hmm. It definitely every time was like a, oh, how do I find new kind of friends? How do I find like my group again? And this was. Was just a big being loaned a game at all, right? Because once you had the map, the map was too big to Xerox, unlike the <laughs> other games. So this was not like a, we could both play it. It was, a, I'm giving you this this game for now to play it. And that kind of trust meant a lot to me early on, like making a new friend. Mm. Um, but other than that, this was mostly, this was also my my Christian year, yeah. Basically. You because it was one, Colorado Spring. The one single year. Oh, it was Colorado
0: Springs. Okay. Yes. Yeah, exactly.
1: And this was like maybe ninety six, mm. ninety-five, ninety-six, or something like that. So like the beginning or like the upswing of the like big mega church era. Yes. And Colorado Springs had some mega churches. And so it was the friend who had lent it to me also was like Hey, by the way, we're going to like hang out and listen to some music after, uh, you know, like after school, if you want to come. And the music was like ska, but it was like, they really loved Jesus. And then it was like, it was like Plank Eye and MXPX and all these bands that like now, like later on, I learned, oh, they're all Jesus ska bands. And it never was that. Anyways. I never knew there was that. Genre crossover, but I should have known. <laughs> it is so, like, time-specific. Yes. It is, like... But it is... <laughs> there were a lot of ska bands that... There was a whole, like, record label. I think it was called, like, Tooth and Nail or something. And it would always be... <laughs> we love Jesus, and we're going to show it through this, like, pseudo-punk ska. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny.
0: Uh, Incredible. Yeah, I have some friends from college who are from there. So I'm, like, light loosely familiar with, like, the culture... It, or at least that third mm-hmm. part of the culture in Colorado Springs. Uh, that's such an interesting detail. Um, that that's incredible. Uh, well, so Curtis, before we you know head out, like out and do the the and run through the post show segments that I have for you, is there anything else about the game itself or that
1: time in your life that you'd like to highlight? Um, I'm gonna say for the game. Yeah, it has one. One thing that I'm remembering now, so when you are in hyperspace, when you're, like, going, you can see the enemy ships come after you, right? But they're just little circles. And you spend a lot of the game, like, rushing through, and then you'll see enemy ships. And that little, like, enemy little circle and just Mm -hmm. being scared of a little circle coming (laughs) after you, I feel like transferred into a lot of other games. Like, it's the same, like... Uh, what was it, whatever the, when Final Fantasy moved beyond just random encounters and you would see the guys coming after you, that kind of thing. That like built in my fear of the like, oh, you have to run as far, as fast as possible and trying to like evade vampire survivor style yeah. as many guys as you can. <laughs> very specific to the game, but just like a very quick like memory that I had yeah. of, oh no, this little circle is coming after me and I know because of where I am, that's a Kilrathi- whatever Mm -hmm. that kind of thing as far as the time it was mostly oh yeah i'm learning how to play games and i'm making little friends and then coming back to it when i was in college it was a lot of holy crap i've been folding boxes for 10 hours straight i need to just not think for a while and just like go to this other world
0: yeah maybe a place of comfort
1: yes yeah Uh,
0: at least nostalgia um that's so cool well um Curtis before we do get to those uh post show segments um would you mind putting a bow on whatever place this game held for you in your life
1: This game was the like I would say this game was the transition into like big games for me like I played a lot of games before but this was like the first game where it's like oh you could replay it from the beginning to the end and have a different experience than what mm. you did before right like, I played Super Mario Land over and over again, where you'd get to, like, whatever they called the new game plus. But it was the same game every time, right? You're just doing it faster. And and this was the beginning of, like, oh, you can experience a different narrative path through this game when you replay it. Which, obviously, is, like, one of the things I love about video games, right? Yeah. Like, you come back, and sometimes it's the same, but sometimes, like, you f- you play through Majora's Mask a little bit differently, and yeah. it means different things how you experience it yeah
0: totally well thank you so much for bringing on star control 2 to talk about today uh for many reasons w- but selfishly i love learning about games that i didn't know existed and now i'm blown away at like the scope of this one so uh this was so fun to hear from you um i'll lead us in to our first post show segment the fact me by your game segment and this is just where i share fun facts with my guest about the game uh this is um, the, these two facts I have are coming from a video by a YouTube channel called Ars Technica, uh, and I'll send this to you later because it's, uh, there's much more that I didn't pull from it, which is an incredible sort of look into what it was like designing the first game and this one with those two creators that I referred to either. I believe it was Paul and Fred. Um, the first fact of the two that I have for you, I have titled planetary glow up now in 1991, um, I guess scientifically there were no scientifically proven exoplanets, but the game's designers had uh, scientifically based guesses on what they thought these could look like and what elements they could be made of. Um, so I guess using their limited uh, scientific knowledge, I'm going to say scientific a thousand times in this fact. <laughs> um, uh, you don't. Sometimes I don't realize it till I'm reading what I've typed on the page, uh, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Paul was able to estimate what they would look like. The problem was he and Fred felt the results were too boring for the game. Um, I think in the video they give examples of there were too many of these, uh, these procedurally generated planets that were based on scientific fact that were just like heaps of ice or masses of gas and not really planets you could exactly explore that would be interesting. So I guess that they sort of did their best to thread the middle of the road between realism and entertainment for that. Um, which I just find interesting. I don't know if any planet you talked about the rainbow planets, uh,
1: yeah, earlier. there's different you you come to know as you do in you know Mass Effect or any of these games, each type of planet, you can go there for those specific resources. And so, like going into a new system and like kind of like steering your little ship around to get to like, oh, there's, there's a blue planet I know I need more argon let me go there whatever it is but that's purely just like video game oh (laughs) I now know x equals y I must go for that
0: yes uh I can very much relate to that playing the first mass effect a couple years ago on the uh like the remastered or whatever but uh, Mm -hmm. anyway the second fact I have for you I have titled keyboard lockouts uh now you actually kind of Or gave us some information that's going to feel relevant to this earlier talking about playing with your sister on the keyboard doing the two-player mode um, With each of you using the same keyboard now The controls for star control were assigned entirely to a keyboard and came with an unforeseen issue When translated to pc systems It wasn't until outsiders were testing the game out on different machines That the designers discovered that certain keys would be locked out from use when others were pressed Now this occurred on specific keyboards because of the hardware-based technology at the time, which I would have never guessed this was the case. But basically when pressing certain keys, others would not be able to register an input for whatever oh. reason. I don't know if they were like – like I don't know. The WASD keys are on the same board as Q and therefore you can right. only press 2. I don't know, but something along those lines. The solution that they found was to send out an additional program with the game so that the user could determine – they could literally probe their keyboard to find out which ones would be locked out to reassign inputs to certain keys so that they could do this multiplayer mode. Jesus. Just really in the weeds about the technology there. I barely understood.
1: (laughs) I mean because there is a big thing like from doing like a bunch of like programming, especially at that time – the the weird thing with keys is they don't actually remember when you're pre- holding down a key oh. like normally it just sends two flags there's a key down and a key up mm. and so sometimes with certain keyboards or especially this happens whatever system you're programming in if the if you don't notice that key up then it still thinks you're doing key down right which is why i'm sure you've had the problem you're like playing a game or something and like you press forward and then you stop pressing forward but your guy keeps moving oh, and sure. you cycle through all the menus and it's just like it missed that key down or joystick down type thing absolutely but that's so weird that it's like so specific to where it was on the keyboard yeah that it couldn't I... even register those
0: so interesting. And I think, like, apparently that's not as much of an issue anymore because things are more software based the way that a keyboard's mm-hmm. communicating with the machine, but I couldn't tell you for sure. Uh, anyway um that'll do it for the factory by your game segment and i'll lead us into the final one of the show the game recommendations now yes uh this segment is my one forced tie-in to the movie call me by your name which this show shares nearly shares identically a title to where i'm gonna treat star control 2 as your passionate summer uh unforgettable italian Mm -hmm. uh fling and I'm But of course, like in the movie, that is that fling is not going to work out. It's not going to be long term. So I'm going to try to recommend you a couple new flings in order to help you get over that. Um, Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm a really selfless person. <laughs> um, and each of these uh, recommendations will have something in common with your original fling because I find familiarity goes a long way. So um, I've got three for you today. The first of which as if you've you actually mentioned this game today but if you want more sexiness and a party focus for your space exploration sim I'll recommend any of the mass
1: effect games you take your pick pal have you played the uh, whole series by the way I played 1 and 2 and cool. I think I I don't know if I finished 3 or I stopped 3 cuz I I I definitely did not get to the ending that everybody hated in 3 sure
0: I've heard about that but I
1: do remember cuz there was enough of a gap that I remember playing one and then bringing my character who was loosely based on on uh, Jean-Luc Picard, which just meant that he was bald <laughs> but still had like the same like buff body that he always has. Yeah. and then brought him through two. And I think I started three, but didn't finish.
0: That's so cool. I, I, I we've already talked about it a little bit, but I played the first one a couple years ago when it came out, um the the remastered trilogy. Uh, loved it. And I've just been kind of like biding my time for, I, I'm saving two for a rainy day. Cause I also sure. know two is what I've heard from most people is like the real deal. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, Mass Effect will be your first recommendation.
1: Your second Love it. recommendation. Wait, quick question. Yes, In please. Mass Effect one so far, any like any people that you grew very attached to already as far as your crewmates?
0: I i ended up so i played as a canonical femme shep didn't mm-hmm. adjust a single uh thing about about Shepard, um but i really liked liara to who i had be the romantic interest and um uh i actually i kept rex around um i saved rex and but i didn't like ashley so i had ashley go um, yeah.
1: Is Ashley the racist?
0: Ashley's the, racist. the space yeah. racist. Yeah. That made it yeah. A little easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then there, there's another character. Who's the, oh gosh, it's been two years now, but who's the alien that everybody loves? Who's really cool.
1: Like, I want to say it's not Garrick, but it's like something like that. Cause Garrick is Deep space nine, but the sniper guy, right. And, it might be Garrus. <laughs> that sounds right. It's something like that. We're
0: in the neighborhood, but I liked yeah. that character a lot sure. too. Um, so uh so those are those for me the uh the second recommendation for you is if
1: real real quick before one last mass effect my only mass effect problem is i i realized and this also i is something i realized about myself playing (laughs) mass effect i was i just tried to constantly be nice to all of my crewmates oh sure and then there would be a a moment where they would go you know we could do more. And they'd start disrobing and I'd be like, no, 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 no. I was just a nice captain. I didn't want, I didn't want to have sex with all of the aliens. Yes. You've misinterpreted my communication. Uh,
0: I feel like I can relate to that. Uh, less of people throwing themselves at me, but more of just being far too polite and cordial yes. even when I don't feel like it. Um, yes. Gosh, uh, that is, that's too close to home. Um, uh, but yes, the second recommendation mm-hmm. is if you want a more historical Earth-based st- setting with a strategy focus, I just gave you one that you rec- that you mentioned in the episode. I'll give you one that I've brought up today, and that's Civilization Five. Uh, yes, you ever played this
1: game or any in the series? I've played mo. I've played a lot of two, three, four and five i didn't i didn't do six but i played five when it first came out and like five was the beginning of the we're releasing it broken
0: yeah right
1: like so i played it i loved the hex um tiles but it wasn't there yet and i know like in the six months after it got much much better but it was good it was just like oh i can see what this is going to become yeah just needed
0: that uh that patch uh that very cool and um your final recommendation is if you like your space space exploration you need that you need a space element and you need to have a threat of an alien race like the urquan masters coming for your characters but you need more cartoons with a sports focus i'm recommending space jam the computer game from 1996 uh have you ever played this one? I have not. This is is a, this
1: a basketball game or a space exploration game or so both?
0: There are some like, there's definitely at least one space mini game in this, but uh, it is focused on the basketball where you're choosing sure. MJ, different Looney Tunes to face the Monstars. There's, there, this is a game I had when I was a kid on the PC and loved, which is sometimes I just throw out my favorite ones from a kid. It's the, these Rex, but uh, it's an okay basketball game uh and it's just mostly very silly and the animation's kind of good so that's great so i'll wrap up your recs today we have of course any of the mass effect games civilization 5 and space jam the computer game from 1996 that'll do it for the game recommendations and that will actually bring us to the end of the show so Uh, Before we go and plug whatever we want to on our way out, Curtis, thanks again for taking the time to do this and hang out with me today and chat. This was a blast getting to talk to you more.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited. I've been waiting. It was a blast. Um, And someday I'd love to
0: get you on like a a co-op episode if one comes out that we've played with a group. Uh, But that being said, on your way out today, do you have anything you want to plug anywhere that people should look for you on the internet?
1: Um on the internet, I'm most places as actually Curtis on whatever social media still remains alive and not corrupted by the influence of capital. <laughs> um, you can also find me at CurtisRutherford.com, uh R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D.com. And you can find, yeah, that's that's most of it. And then as far as plugs, you can also find me uh doing shows. I do the improvised movie with Megaplex. At various times. Killer. Um And yeah, that's probably most of it. Oh, and I have my uh, improv podcast, Improv Beat by Beat, which is a podcast where I interviewed a whole bunch of different Uh, Improv comedians, but then divided up their episodes. I divided up their interviews. So each episode is focused on a different topic. Um, A friend of mine, uh, Billy DeClerc, calls it uh, like an improv textbook, which I think (laughs) is a good explanation. If you want to get better at game or about uh, how to do a musical or how to do that, it's like each episode is a bunch of people talking about a topic rather than one person talking about these are the seven teams i was on or whatever interesting
0: that's so cool i don't think it was you but it could would have made sense if it was but someone brought this podcast up to me recently um so it's been in the air uh and i'm I'm, and so it's perfect that you're on today i'll put a link to that and your socials and, and your website and everything in the show notes as well um but i'll go ahead and close this out with some plugs of my own great um the cover art for Call Me By Your Game is done by Glenn Jay. You can find him and his other great work on Instagram at GlennWithTwoNs.JAY. The show is produced, edited, and the music is by Jeremy Schmidt. You can give him a tip of your cap by listening to his podcast, Video Games, A Comedy Show, which is also part of our network here at super npc radio you can follow me on social media at connor underscore mccabe uh i stream video games on twitch at twitch.tv slash cons is cool 69 it's been a couple weeks though so i hope to get back to it soon Uh, it's really hard to keep a schedule there um and then lastly of course you can check us out on patreon uh again patreon.com slash super npc radio where if you subscribe at the ten dollar dj toad tier you get three bonus video game podcasts per week uh i've already highlighted the pokemon uh uh, red blue and yellow games club which we're doing every friday and if you like that series um we have a free preview that will be the previous post in this podcast feed so if you want to listen to the beginning of our journey and see if that's something you would like to come along for uh just listen to the previous episode after this that'll do it for the housekeeping uh, and and all the plugs I have. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Call Me By Your Game. We will see you on the next one.